So there's a, an old story about a prime minister of England in the 19th century, Lord Palmerston, who was crossing a bridge one day when he noticed that out ahead of him there was a little girl who was carrying this big jug. And she stumbled, she dropped the jug, it broke. And inside of it was milk and she lost all the milk, just ran all over the place. So of course the little girl, she broke down in tears. She was devastated. So the prime minister, he, he ran up to her and he tried to calm her down to encourage her and comfort her. He realized that he didn't have any money with him at the time, so he told the little girl, he said, look, he said, I promise that if you come back to this same spot at this same time tomorrow, I'll give you the money that you need to replace the jug and all of the milk that was inside. Well, the next day was very busy for the prime minister, a lot of meetings, a lot of important things to do. And in the middle of one of those meetings, he remembered that promise that he made. So without saying anything, he stood up, ran out of the door, and ran all the way back to the bridge where he met that little girl who was waiting for him, and he handed the money that he had promised. I read that story this week and thought about the fact that it means a lot to us when someone keeps their word, doesn't it? They give us a promise, and they follow through. And we all probably have stories of times when that's happened in our lives. Someone made us a promise. And they did follow through on it. I'm sure we also all have stories of times when people didn't keep their word to us. And they broke their promises. See, sometimes as people we fail to keep our word. Unfortunately, that's part of the fickle nature of humans. Thankfully, though, that is not the nature of our God. When God promises something, we can be confident that He will keep His word every single time. There was another man in the 19th century who, who knew God's promises and who believed that God would keep His Word. That man's name was David Livingston. Some of you may have even heard his name before. He was a missionary in Africa and he was there for many, many years. But one day, Livingston realized that a hostile group had begun to surround where he was encamped. Night began to fall Fear began to grip his heart. He didn't know what was going to happen. He thought this could very well be his last day on earth. This is what he wrote in his diary on January 14th, 1856. He said, I felt much turmoil of spirit in the prospect of having all my plans for the welfare of this great region and this teeming population knocked on the head by savages tomorrow. He then said that he went on to read some words in the Bible from Jesus when Jesus said this, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and teach all the nations, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And Livingston hung on to those words that Jesus said when he said, I am with you always. Despite all the dangers that surrounded him that night, he rested in that promise, and at the end of that entry in his diary, he said, I feel quite calm now. See, because David Livingston knew that no matter what happened to him that day, the Lord was always going to be with him. That knowledge helped him to regain the courage that he needed to go on. And praise the Lord that he did go on for many years to continue sharing the gospel. God kept him safe that day and many days moving forward. But I bring that up because we might have confidence at times in the promises that people give us. 
But as Christians, we should always have confidence in the promises that God gives us, like the confidence that David Livingston had. But sadly, that confidence in the promises of God is not always found in the lives of every Christian. Instead, it seems that many Christians today either don't know the promises of God, or they don't understand them, or we get so wrapped up in our own circumstances that we begin to doubt God's Word, the things that He's promised to us. So as we turn to Joshua chapter 21 together this morning, my prayer is that we're going to see some important reminders about all God's promises, reminders that I pray will impact our lives. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn there with me to Joshua chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, I still encourage you to follow along. You can use one of the Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 186. Page 186, Joshua chapter 21. And in case you haven't been here with us before or in a while, I just want to give you a little recap where we've been. We've been studying the book of Joshua where Israel came into the land that God had promised them. They had many battles against the the enemies that lived there. And more recently, those battles have come to an end, and we've seen that they are dividing up the territory in the land for each of the Israelite tribes. Now, last week we saw the importance of the cities of refuge in the promised land. And today we come to the final portion of the book of Joshua, where things are being given out, the final cities to be established. So let's look together. Joshua 21, verse 1, says this. It says, Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel at Shiloh and Canaan, and said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pasture lands for our livestock. So, as the Lord commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their own inheritance. Now, for the next 38 verses or so, those towns are listed. And we're not going to read through each of those together. Instead, let's jump all the way down to verse 41 together. We pick up, it says this. It says, the towns of the Levites in the territory held by the Israelites were 48 in all, together with their pasture lands. Each of these towns had pasture lands surrounding it. This was true. So, let's stop right here. Keep your place in Joshua 21. Let me explain what's going on, why it's so significant. First, you need to understand that unlike all the other Israelite tribes, the tribe of Levi didn't get their own big patch of territory in the promised land. Instead, they were scattered all throughout the land in these different towns. There's a reason for that. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember that I shared a story of something that happened in the book of Genesis. It's a story of vengeance. Where this man, Jacob, had two sons that decided to take vengeance into their own hands. Their names were Simeon and Levi. Well, Simeon and Levi chose to take vengeance into their own hands. They went and they slaughtered every man in this town called Shechem. Then they they looted and they plundered the town. Well, years afterwards, Jacob, he pronounced a curse on his sons, Simeon and Levi. And he told them that because of their cruelty, their descendants would be scattered throughout the rest of the nation as a result. So one of the things we're seeing in Joshua chapter 21 is the fulfillment of that curse. 
They were scattered throughout the promised land. They didn't have one centralized place where you found all the Levites. Instead, they were scattered all around in these different towns. Now, we don't need to lose heart for the Levites, though, because there's more to their story. See, hundreds of years after Jacob had pronounced that curse on Simeon and Levi, during the time of Moses, the tribe of Levi, Levi's descendants, they stepped up in obedience to God during a time when the others were rebelling. And God blessed them for it. So while they were still going to be spread throughout the promised land, the Levites had been given as a blessing from God this special role. They were going to be the ones who taught the people the laws of God, instructed the people about God. So think about it. By being spread out, though, all over the promised land, well, now the whole nation was going to be blessed that they had easy access to people who could teach them about the Lord. This is important. We need to remember that Israel in this day wasn't like Sumter County, Florida, where we have a church on every single corner. Right? They didn't have that. But now they had 48 of these Levitical towns where they could go and they could learn about God. They wouldn't have to travel far for that. Now, the reason I bring this all up, church, is because I want us to understand only our great God can use even the consequences of our actions to bring about his greater good purposes. But here's the main thing I want us to see about God this morning. Look at verse 43. It says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Listen to this. Verse 45 says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Let's look at that one more time. It says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. You see, God had promised Abraham that he was going to give his descendants the land of Canaan. When we find that now they had received it. And the land had been described as a land flowing with milk and honey. It was, it was a good land. Remember, God's promises are described as good promises. God gives good things to his people. Not only that, God promised to give them victory over their enemies. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he'd give them victory even over nations stronger and bigger and more powerful than them. Well, now here was Israel. Well, they stood as victors in the land. The land trembled before them. Walls came tumbling down before Israel. Hail rained down from heaven. Enemies were thrown in confusion because God brought the victory he had promised them that he would. God also promised that he was going to give the Israelites rest. I really want you to think about that for a second. Remember the things that they had been through as a nation. Hundreds of years of Slavery in Egypt. The decades of wandering in the wilderness. And then years of battling enemies in the promised land. And now they finally were at rest. Well, they could put their feet up. All these things had been promised and God delivered on every single one of them. Not one of his good promises to Israel failed. And I think this is another one of those passages of Scripture. It would be very easy for us to just read it and say, that's, re that's really neat that God did that. 
and then for us to just keep on moving. And I say that because I know that I've read Scripture many times that way. But instead, I want us to slow down for a minute this morning and go a little deeper. Not one of His good promises failed. What does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about the nature of His promises? Why should this affect His people today? You see, there are a few things about God's promises to Israel that I want to be sure as a church that we haven't missed because these things will help us understand a lot about God's promises to us today. And the first thing that I think we need to understand, church, is that some of God's promises to us will not be immediately received. Some of His promises aren't going to be received immediately. Now, it's true that there are promises from God for our present circumstances. Absolutely. But then there are times when God promises something that's not fulfilled right away. And I think this is hard for a lot of us. Because we live in an I-need-it-now society, right? So let's be honest. I know I'm not the only one who gets upset when I spend 10 minutes in the fast food line or longer. And I know I'm not the only one who gets upset when the internet doesn't work instantly when I am at home. But you see, this impatient attitude that we tend to have, sometimes it overflows into how we think God should fulfill His promises and when we think He should do things. Remember, God had promised the Israelites this land over 400 years earlier to Abraham. Well, that means that Abraham was given the promise and then his son Isaac was, and then Isaac's son Jacob, and then all of Jacob's sons, but none of them received the promise. What does that mean, that God was unfaithful? Does it mean that he lied? Did it mean that God isn't good? No. It means that some of God's promises are for the future. And the same thing is true today. Uh, There are many promises from God that we experience right away, the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have done that, who have given our lives to Jesus, the moment that we did that, we experienced many promises in Scripture. The moment we gave our life to Jesus, His Holy Spirit came and dwelt within us. The moment we gave our life to Jesus Christ, we received the forgiveness that He promised us. We received the eternal life that He guarantees. Not only that, but there are many other promises from God that we experience as His people every day in the things that we go through. But, like Israel... There's some promises from God to his people that are for the future. For example, Jesus promised that the day would come when he would return for his people. That hasn't happened yet. He's promised that he will come and set up his earthly kingdom. He's promised that all the wicked will stand before him in judgment. See, these promises are still to come. And God's fulfilled promises to his people in the past should encourage us that he will fulfill these things for his people in the future. The problem is that we see God's delay in our eyes as a denial or as unfaithfulness on His part. But truthfully, it's it's about His timing. That's the next thing for us to understand about God's promises is that they are always going to be fulfilled at the right time. Even the ones that seem far off. The problem is we don't always see the reasons for His timing. But God always has a purpose. For example, why, why did God let the Israelites wait so long to enter into the promised land. I mean, over 400 years, that's a long time. We know in Scripture that one of the reasons is because in God's mercy, 
He was giving the people in the land, the Canaanites, time to repent. It was only when their sin reached its full measure that he brought about the just judgment of them being expelled from the land. Okay, well, when they went to the land, why didn't God give them rest right away? I mean, why didn't he allow the battle in the land to just happen quickly? Just one big battle, get it over with. Well, God actually explained that too. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, he said he was going to drive out their enemies little by little. He said one of the reasons he was going to do that is so that the land wouldn't become overrun by wildlife as the Israelites began to inhabit it. In other words, God has purposes. We see him as slow to move sometimes, but God always moves at the perfect pace. And in the same way, his delay, as we might see it today, doesn't mean failure. Doesn't mean forgetfulness, but rather that his timing is not ours. See, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the Lord isn't being slow about his promise to return. No, he has a reason. And one of those reasons is that the Bible says he is patiently waiting so that people could repent and turn to him. That's interesting. It's just like his reason for waiting to give the Israelites the land, right? In his mercy, he's given people time to come to repentance. God's future promises will always come about in the right time. They did for Israel and they will for us. We need to trust them. But you know, in the meantime, what we can remember is that when Israel was looking forward to everything God had for them in the future, when it seemed so far off, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that they weren't left empty-handed. Now, God had many good things for them in the present, too. And he promised to be with them. And no matter what struggle they went through, he was there. Go back and read in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, how he provided for them in the wilderness. If you haven't been with us through our study in Joshua, go home and read the book of Joshua and see how he guided and protected them when they entered the promised land. And while we look forward to God's future promises for us, we'll also find that he hasn't left us empty-handed. He has many good promises for his people today. Let me give you a few examples. Believers, God has promised in Hebrews 13 that he will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what difficulty you are going through right now, God has said that he's still with you. In fact, speaking of those difficulties, those trials, Jesus promised in John 16 his peace in tribulation. You can also go to Philippians chapter 4 to look at that. He's promised his joy in our lives in John chapter 14. He's promised when we go to him and seek his wisdom that he will give it to us in our situations in James chapter 1. He's promised in 1 John chapter 1 that when we make mistakes, when we fall, when we fail and we sin, and then we turn to him for forgiveness that he will forgive us when we repent of our sin. He's promised in James chapter 4 and Mark chapter 11, his answers to our prayers. He's promised in Philippians chapter 4, his provision for all our needs. All of these things God promises to his people today. But maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but I don't feel like I'm experiencing his peace or his joy in my current circumstance. Or you know what? God seems far from me. I don't remember the last time he felt close and present in my life. Or you know, I don't feel like I have that godly wisdom in my situation. 
Another thing that we learn from the example of the Israelites is that sometimes we fail to experience some of God's promises because of our sin and our unbelief. There's an example that I've given throughout our study in Joshua. I'm going to give it again. And it's that in Numbers chapter 13, Israel, Israel was on the cusp of entering the promised land. They were right there. Oh, and it was a good land, and they knew that. So they were right, right there, ready to enter the land, and then they decided that the enemies in the land were too, they were too scary. The cities, the walls, they were too big. This was impossible. They decided that it would be better to go back to slavery in Egypt than to enter into all the promises God had waiting for them. And the consequence for that was that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that wicked generation died off. An entire generation who had endured slavery in Egypt and seen God's miracles missed out on the joy of the promised land because in their unbelief they rebelled against God. And in the same way, believers, God has all these incredible promises for his people. Great things he wants to unleash in our lives and in our troubled times. But it's often in our unfaithfulness and sin that we are left standing there saying, where's God? And where are all these things that he promised? Sadly, many times it's because as followers of Jesus Christ, we have we failed to experience promises because we're not walking with God. Because we've fallen into sin and unbelief. And when we aren't walking closely with him, we shouldn't expect the joy or the peace of his promises. We shouldn't expect our prayers to be answered. We shouldn't expect his wisdom in our lives when we're not walking with him, when we're not living for him. Look, understand, believers, the Bible is clear. We're never going to lose our salvation. We're never going to be severed from our Savior. But when we wander into sin, we're going to lose that close relationship with him, the joy of it that we should have. Now, praise the Lord, he's faithful and gracious to forgive us when we return to him. The stories of the Levites reminds us of that. Then when we return to him, we begin living for him again. We enter back into those wonderful blessings he has for us. There still be consequences for our sin. The Levites were still spread throughout the land. But his grace and his forgiveness are abundant when we repent of our unfaithfulness. Sometimes, church, we miss out on the joy of God's promises because of our unbelief. We grow impatient with God's timing. So then we start to say to ourselves that God isn't good. Or we start to say, he's not going to deliver me. He's not going to provide for me. He's not going to follow through and comfort me. And my encouragement to each of you is that in those moments, church, when you are tempted to feel that God is failing, my encouragement is that you would look back on all that God has done. Uh, see, one of our problems is that we've forgotten God's goodness in the past. Isn't that why we're supposed to take communion? Do we remember what Jesus did for us? I shared this past week at our Wednesday night prayer meeting that someone once said this. They said, many people think their prayers are never answered because it's the answered ones that they forget. And I couldn't help but think this week that it's... It's very similar with Christians and God's promises. Many times we start to think that his promises aren't real in our lives, but that's because we've forgotten all the times that we have experienced his promises. How quickly we seem to forget 
how faithful he is to shower us with his grace and his joy and his provision. Difficulties come and we start to doubt. But what if, what if we were a people more faithful to remember what God had done? All the ways he's worked in the past. There's a reason that God was constantly telling Israel to recite to their children the great things he had done. To remember these things. To celebrate them every year. Is it possible, church, that by remembering God's goodness in the past, we would trust him to be true to his word in the present? There's a story of a pastor who went to visit one of his church members. This member had gotten sick, had a miserable illness, was confined to their home. So the pastor went over, and while he was there, he couldn't help but notice this church member's Bible is open on the table. And he glanced at it, and he saw this word written over and over in the margins, and the word was proved. That was the word. It just said proved over and over. He was curious, so he went over and he started flipping some pages, and over and over again, there was proved. He turned the page to Psalm 46.1. It said, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Proved. So the pastor turned to John chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Proved. And he realized that every promise that believer had experienced from God, he marked as proved in his Bible. Maybe more of us should do that, believers. So that when those days of doubt come, we could look back and be reminded of all the promises that God has fulfilled so that we wouldn't lack faith in his ability today. So that we would remember his faithfulness. That's the last thing I want to point about about his promises. It's the part that I'll never stop trying to understand. The part that I'll never stop standing in awe of and being blown away by and rejoicing over, and that is that God's promises reveal His faithfulness. Despite all of our faults, all of our wandering from Him, our often rebellious hearts, God's promises still stand. And every fulfilled promise shows His faithfulness. Not a single word or promise of God will fail. When Israel faithfully went into the land, God removed every obstacle in their way, even the flooding Jordan River. He removed every enemy that came up against them when they followed him, including armies that were described as numerous as the sand on the seashore. He did that to give them what he had promised, because God is faithful. His promises prove that. The question is, do we believe that? Church, the same God who is faithful to his people in that day continues to be faithful to his people today. And he has many great promises for us. Some are promises for the future, things that we look forward to. Like when Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he is preparing a place for us. And then there are some promises he has for us now that he'll never leave us, he'll never stop caring for us, never lose us. The truth this morning, church, is very simple. It's that all of God's promises are good and they will be fulfilled. Sometimes in our moments of doubt, we need to remember that. That all of God's promises are good and they will be fulfilled. 
If you're here in Jesus Christ as your Savior, keep in mind that if we want to live in the joy of His promises, then we need to know His promises. We need to read His Word. How can we live in the joy and the praise of His promises when we don't even realize the things He's giving to us? Then we need to trust His promises. We need to live in obedience to Him. And church, when we experience God's great goodness and the fulfillment of His Word, we need to praise Him for that. So as we get ready to close this morning, during our final song, I'd encourage each of you to consider how you might need to respond. Because maybe you're here, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been going through a lot of doubt about His Word in your life. Maybe you need to take that to Him in prayer. Or maybe you've experienced His promises recently. This would be a great time to praise Him for that. So believer, I'm going to encourage you to examine your heart. And maybe you're here... And Jesus Christ is not your Savior. You've never given your life to Him. You've never received that forgiveness that He offers. If that's true for you, there's a promise from God for you that I, I want to tell you about as I close. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, let me explain that for just a minute. You see, the Bible says that the problem is that all of us have broken God's commands, done bad things in our lives. When we lie and cheat and steal and take God's name in vain, and on and on that list goes. And the reason our sin is a problem is because God is holy, and so our sin separates us from Him. He's righteous. And if our sin isn't taken care of in this life, then when this life ends, we'll be separated forever from God in a place called hell. Sadly, we can't make up for sin on our own. No amount of good works is going to erase what we've done. No amount of going to church will get us to Him. The good news is that Jesus Christ came for us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, what He was doing was taking the penalty, all the punishment and wrath our sin deserves. After He died, He was buried, and three days later, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead, proving that He is who He said He is. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the only one who can forgive you and me. And now Jesus is standing in heaven waiting to do just that, to forgive you of your sins, all the things you've ever done. To give you eternal life, so that when this life ends, you'll be with Him forever. To bring you into His family. And His promise to you is that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So friend, understand, you have to decide what you will do with that promise. If Jesus is not your Savior, I hope that you won't leave the same way that you came in. Understand that you can give your life to Jesus Christ right now. You can go to Him for the forgiveness of your sins, salvation from the penalty of hell, and eternal life. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's where you're at, you know Jesus isn't your Savior, but you're ready for all of that to change, I want you to understand, you can come and talk to me during our final song, this time of invitation. We can pray together. You can ask me questions. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And I would encourage you to go to Jesus in prayer right now and admit to Him that you know that you're a sinner. That you have done bad things in your life. But that you know He died on the cross for your sins. That you believe He didn't stay in the grave, but rose from the dead. And I would encourage you to give your life to Him. 
to ask Him for that forgiveness that He offers, to ask Him to be your Savior. And I assure you, based on the promise of God's Word, that He will save you. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, I pray that You would help us because there are so many times when life gets hard and we start to become so overwhelmed by our circumstances, we forget that You said You would be with us. That You promised that Your peace is available even in our difficulties. That You promised that Your wisdom for our situation is available if only we will ask You for it. Father, help us to be faithful to read Your Word so we can know the promises You've made towards us. Help us to live for You and rejoice when we experience Your goodness. And Father, in those moments when we doubt, help us to look back at all the things that You have done. And when we remember Your faithfulness, help us to praise You. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we just keep on praising You. That we praise You together as we continue our time down in the other building, that we would praise You when we leave this place and find someone that we could share the Gospel with. I pray that in all these things You be glorified. Father, we love You. But day in and day out, You prove that You love us more. And we thank You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen.